Have you heard of the word modern energy minimum? On today's episode of Afrinode Podcast, we bring you an African junkie as he considered himself, Dad Mas. Dad Mas is founder and executive director of the Energy for Growth Hub. He's also a non-resident fellow at the Center for Global Development, CGD, at the Center for Energy Studies at Rice University's Baker Institute, and at the Colorado School of Mines Payne Institute. Previously, Todd served as U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, as Chief Operating Officer of CGD, and has worked at the London School of Economics, Georgetown University's Unit, the World Bank, and the Economist Intelligence Unit, EIU. He's a widely recognized expert on energy development, finance, foreign policy, who has testified to the U.S. Congress 10 times. Todd is the author of the book, African Development, Making Sense of the Issues and Actors, editions 2007, 2011, and 2018, and also the book, Oil to Cash, Fighting the Resource Cost with Cash Transfers, edition 2015. He holds a PhD and MSc from University of London School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, and a BA from Tufts University. Listen and get inspired and get more information on what energy in Africa entails and what is really needed to spawn great, wonderful, and amazing energy plants. So, uh, I welcome you especially to today's episode of the AfriNew podcast. This podcast is about nuclear technology in general and how it pertains to Africa and globally as well. Great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Okay. So, uh, I got um, great um, uh, uh, information about you and your activities uh, around the continent. And uh, it gave me a lot of impetus to have you to be on the show. So, that's why I've been really edging to uh, reach out to you for a very long time. And I'm very happy to have you on here, sir. <laughs> great. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about nuclear in, in Africa. Fantastic. You've been so... Um, much involved in electricity and energy in general in Africa and the continent and um, yeah I think it will be a very balanced um, um, talk with you today to have your view about nuclear technology although I'm going to be asking a lot of general questions and sorry uh, the other person that was supposed to be with us um, took an excuse that um, she would not be around so I hope I can cover the general and uh, more specific questions that um, and uh, I also hope that we'll do it within the bounds of time as well thanks <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so uh, yeah, I've been reading a lot about you and uh, your activities in Africa. I heard from the previous interview you had with Robert Bryce that you you call you consider yourself a kind of African junkie. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of exciting and interesting to know, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's a it's a funny thing. Look, I'm a, I'm a middle-class American. I grew up in a little town called Rochester, New York, which is up on the lake near the Canadian border. And wow. I didn't know very much about the world, but as a college student, I went to Zimbabwe for a semester. Okay. And it opened my eyes that there are just so many wonderful places around the world and particularly that the view I was getting of Africa from American media just didn't seem very accurate. Wow. And so ever since that, which was, uh, geez, that's uh, over 30 years ago now, wow. um, I have been working in, on Africa and traveling around the continent uh, ever since. Uh, and, um, and I have, uh, you know, I try to encourage other Americans like, don't believe what you're seeing uh, on TV. <laughs> go go experience the real Africa for yourself and yeah. you'll see 
yeah that, uh, you'll see 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 what it's really like sure that really goes to confirm like i was discussing with one of my very senior friends so i told him that i'm so poor but he he thinks that i'm so rich because i travel around a lot and i go to different countries and places he said oh you are getting the best education <laughs> ever in the world you know and i wish to be like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i it goes to confirm that really um getting the first hand information about a place is um second to none and i really appreciate that uh, uh and thank you for honoring the invitation once again i i really hope that i can get the the content uh, in the little bounce of time we have so i i want to um ask you some very basic questions and um the first one is about um about you you can just tell us a little bit about you and what you do sir Sure. So my current job is I run something called the Energy for Growth Hub. Yes. Uh, we're a nonprofit uh, research network um, that tries to use data and evidence to help make energy policies more effective. And the idea is that every person on the planet and every economy around the world needs affordable, reliable electricity at scale. Uh, we can't have a lot of jobs. We can't live modern lives without it. Uh, and we think that using data and evidence can help deliver that that high energy future to everyone. Cool. That's very interesting. I, and I see you've really gone around a lot of African countries. Your Twitter handle has um, some country flags on them. And uh, it's kind of around sub-Saharan Africa, if I may say. So, I mean, how's your journey yeah. been through this country? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... I. You know, I started in Zimbabwe as a kind of uh, ignorant student, um, and I still continue to follow Zimbabwe. But, you know, I've worked in think tanks in Washington, D.C., something called the Center for Global Development, where I was for more than a dozen years. I've worked at the World Bank. I've taught at universities like Georgetown and the London School of Economics. Uh, and I was very fortunate that I served in the State Department um, in the Africa Bureau. So I've been around a lot of uh, different uh, countries. Uh, I work a lot on places like Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, um, and uh, you know I continue to you know not during the pandemic, but uh, you know in normal times, and hopefully soon uh, I'll be able to spend a, a lot of time in, in different capitals. That's great. That's fantastic. Okay, so I uh, I want to bring you to a very pressing and burning issue in this part of the world, Nigeria especially. Uh, we've experienced um, different administrations and they keep uh, raising this issue of electricity as a very serious one they should consider both as a political point and also as something that um, people need as a basic need. But um, it has always been a failure uh, for the large part. Uh, although thanks to the new innovation in um, distributed renewable energies that are bringing some um, light to some very remote places, which I am very, very sure your organization is very much um, involved in capturing. So I wonder, like, um, what's your uh, kind of, what have you um, in your experience with Africa? What do you think is the fundamental problem that should be tackled? I will not say it's corruption because there is corruption everywhere, you know, at different levels. So what do you think that uh, the people at, at the leadership level or policy level, if you may say, need to do to actually 
tackle this um, challenge of the energy need, especially in Nigeria, because I trust you've been in Nigeria, you understand the, the terrain yeah. and perhaps um, the policy to a very, very large extent. So I wonder like, if you have any insights that um, the government or people listening to the podcast might be able to tap into. Sure. So, so Nigeria is obviously incredibly important because of its size and its 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 regional um, significance. Um, it also Nigeria happens to be a country that is dealing with its electricity problem among the worst in the world. In fact, if you if you correlate if you correlate income and electricity use. It's very, very tightly correlated. So rich countries consume a lot of electricity and poor countries uh, consume very little. Uh, and the country that is furthest from the global trend line is Nigeria. Wow. So Ni- Nigeria is, you know, the average Nigerian consumes something like 80% less electricity than they should given their income, which also is an indicator that the problem of electricity is a major uh, constraint on Nigeria's growth because it's not even using enough electricity given where it is in income. And obviously Nigeria wants to become much richer. Um, So really we have pretty strong evidence that energy and income move together. um, And Nigeria is a place where, where that energy is really a big, big constraint. Yeah. Now, what's the solution to Nigeria's energy problem? Yeah. Look, the, I think the the starting point and the what the point I would want to make for your for your audience is that we expect th- there is no one solution, right? So yeah. we expect a lot of different things from the energy sector. So one, you mentioned lighting, for yeah. rural lighting or for small energy uses, yeah. there are now lots of technological options. You know, off-grid solar is a really uh, important and useful solution for certain kinds of energy. Um, at the same time, if you're building a factory in Lagos, you know, a small solar system is just not going to cut it. Yeah. So you you know, really, if if you're trying to tackle the energy uh, needs of a country, you need to look at the full spectrum, everything from basic lighting for the very poor all the way up to large industrial uses. You know, Nigeria's, uh, the Nigerian population is online. Nigeria is gonna need data centers. You're gonna need air conditioning. You're going to need, uh, you know, office buildings. Uh, You're gonna need all of the things of a modern economy and you need the energy system to support everything across that. Um, You know, and just one, one analogy I often like to make is to transportation. Right. You also need a transportation system that can help move all of the things you need in an economy. Yeah. And, you know, solar home systems are kind of like the bicycle of transportation. A bicycle is very cheap. It's it's really useful for certain things. It actually can be fun. I ride a bicycle. I love my bicycle. 
Um, but it's totally useless for hauling cargo across the country. Very uh, good. That, I, I need... so much appreciate that analogy yeah. of the solar being like a <laughs> right. bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you might need trucks or airplanes. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of pointless to say, well, bicycles are cheaper and cleaner than mm. trucks. It's yeah. like, yes, but they, they do different things. The yeah. same is true in the energy sector. Hmm. Very good. I And um, that's a very wonderful analogy because... Um, the the whole um, energy scenario do i say the um, uh, mini grid system seem to be more focused on solar systems and people think that this will be the kind of um, um, opium do i say like the big solution for it you know but um, it needs to be actually looked at uh, in a whole spectrum from which you rightly said so i want yeah. to say that um, uh, truly um, and to those listening that solar and renewable energy um, solutions are really good but they have their limits actually so uh, i want to also ask you uh, in addition to that because um when considering the energy systems and how to solve the electricity problem in in Africa and in Nigeria specifically, uh, we have different options. And um, when you look at different um, regions of the continent, like in South Africa, they, de- they depend a lot on coal. Uh, in North Africa, mm-hmm. most of them use um, fossil um, sources to meet their energy needs. Uh, and in this part of the world, uh, Nigeria specifically, we, we depend on hydro and thermal uh, plants. So, uh, and mm-hmm. these, these are um, well uh, um, established ways of generating electricity. But um, there's one part that has been very much um, lagging behind. Do I say not yet much um, giving uh, the, the needed attention, although governments are like, showing some level of commitment but we're not seeing um, the the drive to be as uh, very um, drastic enough as some governments have done and that's the nuclear aspect so you've been so much involved in energy in general and also electricity specifically because i believe three quarter of the elect- uh, of energy use is um, is is electricity so uh, i want to focus more on the electricity aspect um, in my mm-hmm. discussion with you so uh, uh, we've been talking about nuclear technology and how it affects the African continent. So I wonder, like, given your um, organization and the, its dealings, I believe they have um, a section that deals with nuclear. I wonder, like, what are the, uh, the, the, the things you think that need to be considered uh, when um, countries in Africa are going nuclear or considering going nuclear? And uh, do you think it has a place in the African um, energy scope, both in the present and in the long term? Because I want to, like, make an illustration. Take, for example, if we are told that by in the next century that everybody should relocate to Africa, Africa does not have the energy to cater for everyone. So I wonder, like, what do you think is the position of nuclear technology considering the development and the future of this continent? Yeah, so I think that traditional large-scale nuclear power probably does not have a future uh, in Africa. Uh, I think the potential for small modular reactors and some of the micro reactors and some of the other new technologies that are coming to market, I think that those have much, much more likely application uh, in, in Africa. And I think we should be modest and say that, you know, first of all, it's a lo- these, these are technologies that are still evolving quite quite rapidly 
Um, and that we're, if we're thinking on a long, you know, on a, on the next five to 25 years uh, timeline, that, that there's, we should be open to the idea of nuclear. We absolutely should not write it off, which some people are ready to do. Um, but I think we should remain open to it. And we should see how the market evolves and how the technology evolves. Uh, In Africa, we actually did a project with a, the the Energy for Growth Hub did a project with a group in Washington, D.C. called Third Way, where we mapped um, every country of the world, including in in Africa, uh, progress they're making to prepare for nuclear power. Um, And today, just, you know, Egypt and South Africa have have operating, um, you know, either have an operating power plant or Egypt has one under construction. And Egypt is constructing. Yeah, right. Exactly. But we did find seven other countries that have taken really significant concrete steps where they could hypothetically be ready by 2030, which is not very far away. Uh, That does include Nigeria. Um, These are countries that have already had experience with at least a, you know, a research reactor. They have kind of gone far down the line with the IAEA process. And maybe they've actually, they're actually in very active discussions with foreign, with a, with a foreign uh, supplier. Um, in, in a way that we think, and we've got a methodology that you can see on the website, yeah, where we sorry. think it's, it's plausible that they could be ready by 2030. Yeah. Um, and then we found another 17 countries in Africa that have taken some preliminary steps. We don't think they'll be ready by 2030, but they could be ready by 2050. Oh, so, I, I, so I think the takeaway is really that Africa, it seems to be some African countries seem to be quite serious about it. And they're not just talking about it. They're actually doing some of the steps to get ready. So we should also be open to that. To that possibility. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I really hope that um, this happens uh, in my lifetime. I'm sorry if, if that sounds too <laughs> pessimistic, but <laughs> like I'm um, considering um, the 2035, I think I should still be alive at that time. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, look, I think you. I think we will see. We will. Def- we will see. You know, more nuclear reactors deployed in Africa. But again, going back to my earlier comment. It's not like, you know, it, we want to get away from this, like this is the solution to Africa's energy yeah, problems. Yeah. In the same way that solar has a very important niche, it's possible, but it's not everything. It's possible that nuclear could also have a very important niche. Yeah. But again, it, it's it's obviously not going to be everything. So I, 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 we can, I, I can be right to say that nuclear is part of the solution, if I may say. I think that's fair. All right. <laughs> so now we, I want to look at it in a very broad form. We have the geothermal, we have the wind, we have solar, we have hydro, we have gas. And in Nigeria, for example, this year has been declared a year of gas. And um, the, the global climate change and climate action is calling for a move away from fossils. And I wonder because I think this is a very um, logical progression to meeting one's energy need. I think gas is a logical progression in my own thinking. I I wonder what you think in that regard, but um, the global um, call is like looking at a more drastic move away from using fossils. I wonder how this resonates with you and how um, when you come to practical terms of actually what 
does work and what should be done and is workable given the kind of prevailing conditions in which we are like building a gas plant that 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 will turn the turbine and generate electricity might be more easily achievable than having a nuclear power plant which um, has not been proven like the SMRs have not been proven anywhere and has not been built anywhere although test places have been established in the US but I think it might be easily achievable to get gas um, I mean plants to generate electricity because they're already working already in some parts of the country or continent than having a new whole new technology except a very drastic measure is taken by the government and there that takes me to the question of what do you think is um, the, the the right logical step? Because I you said that solar is like the bicycle. What should we? What should be the like um, the the bike, like the automobile? And then what should be the uh, maybe Lamborghini? And maybe it was the the Porsche? <laughs> or the, and which one would be the Tesla truck? Like what progression do you think in this? Sure. Um, given these energy sources, yeah, yeah. So. So look, I, I, I think that all countries, you know, need to do two things. One is they need to use the resources that they have, and that's going to be very different in different places. They will each follow their own path. And the other is that nobody should be waiting uh, for development for a, a new technology to develop. So, you know, I, obviously I'm optimistic about SMRs, but I don't think any country should be putting industrialization or their energy plans on hold while they wait for uh, for any technology whether it's smrs or battery storage or or whatever else it is um so i do think that you know again you know if you're talking about ethiopia ethiopia is obviously going to be mostly about hydro and they're going to have to fill in around that there'll be a combination of probably some off-grid solar with with large-scale hydro yeah you know, if you're lucky to have geothermal like Kenya, you can build largely around geothermal, which Kenya is doing. They're also adding wind and solar, and they'll also need a little bit of fill-in. You know, right now it's with uh, with heavy oil plants. Hopefully, they can convert that to gas, and then maybe one day use either store, you know, uh, storage or an SMR or something like that. Um, in Nigeria's case, Nigeria like. A lot of the, its West African neighbors, such as Senegal or Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire, yeah. they have a lot of gas um, and they are going to use it in the near term. Uh, the interesting question is what happens when the gas starts to run out and when other technological options become, uh, become available? And, cheap. and also, how does gas pair, especially with solar? Um, and in a place like Nigeria, actually gas and solar go, and here I'm talking about um, uh, utility scale solar, not small off-grid solar, but utility yeah. scale solar and gas, actually, gas-fired power actually pair very well together for two reasons. One, gas um, can ramp up and down quite quickly. So when uh, the sun is shining, you can turn off your gas plant. Yeah. And when it's not shining, you can turn it back on. Yeah. Technically, it can do that. Yeah. But it's also that the finances of gas and um, solar are the opposite. So solar is high upfront fixed costs and very low operating costs. And gas is the opposite. Almost in your entire gas cost, not entirely, but most of your gas cost is in the gas itself. 
So financially, that means that you're not going to bankrupt the power of the gas plant when it's turned off because of uh, because the solar is running. That's actually a barrier for nuclear. Once you turn the nuclear and financial reasons, um, so actually nuclear, a, a, a drawback of, of nuclear is that it doesn't pair that well with solar because of the financial and technical um, uh, aspects. Yeah. Gas actually does. So that's going to be a real challenge for for Nigeria is to eventually transition off of gas onto cleaner sources. That's great. So I, since you talked about nuclear and solar, I was about asking you about the LCOE uh, because uh, level light cost of electricity is... Um, I will say it's a little bit uh, contextualized. When you bring about, you talk about LCOE in solar and wind and other renewable sources, and you want to compare it with the, that of um, some more um, base load um, sources, um, you might want to consider some other niche areas or um, niche um, um, technologies or considerations. So um, talking about the costs, I, I will, it, it might be, um, more expensive to build a nuclear power plant than having a solar plant running because of uh, some other um, myriads of consideration that's maybe brought to the table. Uh, I want to also kind of uh, bring you to talk a bit about this climate that um, climate action that is um, being um, on the front burner these days. You know, uh, if you... Mm or some other people listening to me, if you listen to the introduction of this podcast uh, as the first episode, I talked about Africa not being, uh, uh, should not be considered to worry about climate change because we should be worrying about other more existential challenges. Like we don't have energy, let alone talking about decarbonizing our energy sources. So I wonder like, what do you think should be the position of Africa in terms of generating its electricity? Although we have, it's like a happenstance that we have, we are, we are in the time when we are talking about climate change. So we should not just uh, pay deaf ears to it. But I wonder, like, what's your position in terms of um, generating our energy sources and the climate um, action? What do you think should be the position? Because considering gas, you know. Uh, it's a fossil source, and the climate guys will not say we not. Um, it wouldn't go down well with them. What do you think should be the most, the best approach in this regard? Yeah. So, so good questions. First, on your LCOE, LCOE uh, cost comparison. Yeah. It's really you really don't you really can't compare LCOE across different technologies, and you especially can't compare. Uh, LCOE of a dispatchable versus a non-dispatchable source. So, you know, solar is almost certainly going to be the cheapest on an LCOE basis in certain in, in certain places. Yeah. And on that basis, nuclear is going to have a really hard time competing. But that's because, you know, nuclear, um, uh, nuclear runs all the time and solar does not. So there's a value in that reliability and in that dispatchability that you would want to capture. Again, this is in thinking, instead of thinking about one solution, it's thinking about how all of the different technologies fit together to provide the energy services you need for your, uh, for your economy. So again, I wouldn't just say, well, solar is cheaper than nuclear. Well, if you need a 24 seven factory uh, running, you know, or a mine, 
it might turn out that actually nuclear is cheaper because you need it all the time. Yeah. You can't just turn it off. High capacity. Um, Exactly. The, the, the climate uh, question is a really good one. I actually think that Africa does need to worry about climate, but it's mostly what Africa needs to worry about is adaptation okay. uh, rather than mitigation. Great. So adaptation is what's the energy, what are the energy needs that Africa is going to need in order to survive and thrive? in the face of extreme weather, rising temperatures, and drought. And if you think of that, Africa is going to need resilient infrastructure, which is built with cement and largely with cement and steel, both energy intensive. It's going to need air conditioning and cold storage. Again, very, very energy intensive. Uh, and it's going to need a lot of, of, of pumped, uh, pumped water and probably desalination which again yeah. is one of the most energy intensive technologies. Yeah. So the climate adaptation agenda in Africa is, is very energy intensive and is going to require a lot more energy. Wow. Um, on the mitigation side, which is preventing emissions, as of right now, Africa really, other than South Africa, which is a coal-based economy yeah. and is pretty high emission and relatively wealthy, Other than South Africa, the rest of Africa is actually very low emissions, right? Yep. So, um, so there's not that much CO2 to squeeze out of the economies. And um, the question is, what's the best path forward for Africa to build the energy systems it needs? And there, you know, the, the, the average Nigerian, uh, you know, the average American where I'm sitting in the United States, I, I, I'm producing, you know, 33 times as much CO2 as the average Nigerian. Of course. So it would be very, very rich for me to, uh, you know, rich and hypocritical for me to tell Nigerians that they should cut their emissions while I'm at 33 times their levels. So I think the issue is really around what are the, what are the smartest, most cost-effective energy systems that Africa should be building both to tackle poverty, to promote industrialization, to make the country, to make the, the region more prosperous um, so that it can both eliminate the poverty, it can create jobs, and it can adapt to uh, the climate challenges that, that, that the continent faces. Um, and j just one last point I'll make is that we did a, a back of the envelope calculation just to show how, how this would matter. And, you know, Africa has a ton of options. It, as you mentioned, a lot of geothermal, a lot of wind, yeah. solar, yeah. hydro resources, all of that. But if Africa only used gas, and there's no there's no scenario where that would happen, but if it only used gas yeah. and we tripled everyone's electricity consumption yeah. and we could snap our fingers and do it tomorrow, yeah. that would add less than 1% of global carbon to, to global carbon emission, wow so emissions. the more reason to so, worry less <laughs> again, more reason to worry less very well put jerry yeah so i i i'm sorry i i think our time is already <laughs> but i want to ask <laughs> you about this something that is very recent i've been reading about your work in energy for growth hub and that's the modern energy minimum can you tell us a bit about this Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to do this quickly. So, we, you know, we, the UN and all countries have agreed to the sustainable development goals. Develop, sustainable development goal number seven is to provide 
uh, modern, reliable, sustainable, and affordable energy to everyone by 2030. Yep. It's a wonderful goal. Um, but the metric that we're using to measure it is whether somebody has a household, has household electricity or not. Yeah. And the measurement, the consumption minimum for that is 50 kilowatt hours, yeah. which, you know, me as an American, I'll use that in about two days. But that's supposed to last an African a whole year. Yeah. So we thought, okay, that's the <laughs> first step on the energy ladder. You know, 50 kilowatt hours, everyone should have enough electricity for lights at home. Yeah. Um, the, um, we brought together a group to think, okay, what is the next step on the energy ladder? If we've got to get everybody to 50, what's next? And so we proposed something we call the modern energy minimum. And it's instead of 50, it's a thousand kilowatt hours. And it also covers both electricity use at home and in the wider economy. So, you know, the metric is only at home and it's only 50. Um, but the majority of electricity is not used at home. It's actually used in industry, commerce, out in the rest of the economy. Yeah. So we're, we've moved that up to a thousand. We're now starting to talk to the UN and others about integrating this into a future iteration of SDG number seven. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for this expose, and I sincerely appreciate. Um, just one more last one, just one more. I know the sure. time is fast spent <laughs> because uh, I've been wondering, like you spending so much time in Africa and still interested in being in Africa after this COVID um, crisis. I wonder, like, what has been your motivation and like what has been your like what has been like energizing you to stay on in in the continent? I mean, like. What's keeping you going on here? You know, many young people in Africa, especially in Nigeria, want to want to take the next available flight out of the continent or the country. So, but I mean, you are still here, keeping it going. So, like, can you? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, look, it's kind. Of, that's sort of a hard, you know, you know hard, hard question to answer. Okay. I, I think that I have been motivated, you know, to stay working on Africa by two things. One is. Um, is just that I feel like the misunderstandings that the West, you know, I've lived in the UK and worked in the UK and in the, and in the US, okay. I feel like the Western understanding of Africa is still so wrong and misplaced Interesting. Um, that I want to contribute toward, you know, treating, you know, creating positive relationships between, um, between my country and places like uh, Ghana and Kenya as a, as more as a more normal international relationship not this we're going to help you and you should be grateful but look we're sovereign nations we're different countries we can achieve a lot if we cooperate and we treat each other with mutual respect that's interesting um, and i feel that you know i i can contribute toward normalizing those relationships and doing it in a in a way that's far more productive and more respectful. That's so, very so that's nice. the kind of high-minded one. Yeah. The, the 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 personal one is look when you you know when you work in, with other cultures you develop personal relationships and yeah. I just have so many uh, you know absolutely wonderful friends who 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 are African who live and work in the continent and I just really enjoy working um, with, uh, with, with so many wonderful people. Wow. And that's the real reason I stick with it is, is the people. That's very great. Very great. Thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, thank you, Jerry. Yeah. So thank you for the time. I sincerely appreciate. I hope we'll have more time because this is like very, very short time with you. So 
I appreciate okay, the time great. together. Yeah. Look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, bye bye. Thanks, thanks. Yeah.